Welcome to episode 184 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, rejoined again by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Hello, Ben. I'm doing well. And I apologize to our listeners. We did not get to do an episode last week, primarily because of me. Oh, well, we are glad that you're here now, we'll say. We have stuff to catch up on, which is good. So, I mean, like, this would be sort of like we saved up our appetite for one big meal, which I feel like is a really good strategy for Charleston in general. <laughs> Very true. So I'll start off, Courtney. I am not in Charleston this year for the first time since 2011. I miss it desperately. Most specifically, my stomach misses it. What have you eaten and how has it been? <laughs> uh, well, unfortunately, because of the weather, we had some pretty uh, terrible yeah, weather. terrible weather. Early, yeah. yeah, part of the week. Um, I did not get out to a proper meal until tonight. So. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I, I accompanied Daria Kasakina to her photo shoot, um, did the Champions Corner and interviews and stuff there. And then walked down East Bay Street and wandered into uh, slightly north of Broad, which is a great restaurant that I haven't had a chance to try yet. It was lovely. I, I hate to break this to you, Ben, but I did have she crab soup as an appetizer. Uh, uh, Not as dessert, but as yes. an appetizer. For those of you who don't know our full mythology on the she crab <laughs> soup, which I'm sure we've shared it here at some point. I I think we were at a restaurant. I want to say we were at, what's the one? Like, it was 82 Queen. 82 Queen. And I think you got the she crab soup as an appetizer. I did. And, it, and I got like, I had like one spoonful of it and it was just delicious. And I was really jealous, like the whole rest of the meal that kept <laughs> passing. And so then the guy, the guy came by and was like, you want any dessert? And I think you might have ordered some I did. Actual, actual dessert. And I was like, hey, how about you, how about I get some soup? And the guy did his he best. He was weirded which was, out. <laughs> he, he didn't try very hard not to pass judgment, which is fine. But then he brought me my soup for dessert, which is all I ever wanted, and I was really happy. It was uncomfortable, so, though, because there's nothing like sitting there eating, like, a proper – I think I had some sort of pecan praline probably. pie or cheesecake or something. And you look you look across the table, and Ben is eating hot soup. It's weird. <laughs> I'm sure it was, but I have, I have no regrets. And I, I you, thank you, you for – You rarely do. I rarely – I have – let me put that – differently i have too few regrets most often i should regret more than i do but you were saying that daria sakina um went to like the sushi place across the road after the tournament which just makes me somewhat despondent apparently it was tradition so uh, not tradition but uh, superstition i should say so apparently uh daria sakina who won charleston the volvo car open uh there's a kind of I don't want to denigrate it, but it, but a bit of a strip mall type sushi place that's literally a stone's throw from the media center on site. Um, Not the heart of Charleston dining. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but apparently that's where she had been eating all tournament long. And so after she won, you know, we did our our photo shoot down here in downtown Charleston, and so many great restaurants down here. I mean, if you haven't, you know, uh, absorbed. The message of why Charleston and why all the players and staff and everybody love Charleston. It's the food. Um, but uh, but we're like, well, you know, you can go down and do your photo shoot and then you can go grab some dinner. And she's like, nope, I'm going to go grab lunch at uh, at Wasabi. And, uh, and, and, and I Googled it. I mean, you know, the place. I just wanted to look on their website. This is the type of Japanese, authentic Japanese restaurant 
that offers you a 15% discount if it's your birthday. Okay. So if that, that gives people an idea, but, but at the, at the end of the day, it's a very Daria kind of thing, like just keeping it grounded, keeping it real. Uh, and yeah, I, I admired that decision. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's talk about Kasakina, uh, Kasakina, nay Kasakina, I should say, <laughs> uh, whatever we're going on. Because I feel like this, um, and we'll delve into sort of everything that's happened in Miami and stuff later, but we'll just start with her because she's the freshest in mind and the major of the people of the tournament you were just at, Courtney, um, if nothing else, and the biggest tournament of this week by some distance. I include Davis Cup in that. Um, there, I think this would have seemed really on schedule if it, she'd won Charleston last year. I feel like Charles, which obviously she would have been younger and still like, a, you know, more ahead of schedule in long term career wise. But I feel like there was a lot more sort of momentum for Daria, Dasha, Dash, Dashka, however you want to call her. Uh, so many different ways you can say this person's name and none of them are really right. Um, uh, uh, when she like she had that good run at Indian Wells, you know, she had kind of come out of nowhere as a lucky loser in the 2015 US Open. And I feel like she went a little and I feel like. After the Indy Wells Miami swing last year, people, and by people I mean you, because you hype her a lot, um, were sort of saying, get ready for her on clay. Clay's going to be her best. She's going to do big things. And she kind of didn't live up to at least those expectations on clay last year and had an okay rest of the year, but nothing too, too major. And now this year, sort of, I feel like she's picking up where she left off, even if there's been, I'm sure, a lot of growth in between in the intervening 12 months. But is that is that a fair take, or how, how do you see her trajectory and where this title moves that to. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, you know, and she had match points on Sloane Stevens in the, yeah, exactly. uh, the semifinals yeah. here in Charleston last year. So um, semifinals, quarterfinals, I can't remember, but she had a match quarter, points. Maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah. a quarter. So I agree with you. I mean, she had an absolutely lights out, you know, for her age, a hard court season last year. And she, te- and she petered off on, uh, on the clay. She admits that maybe, you know, all those matches in the hard court because she, she didn't really expect it, you know, to have that success. So maybe the, the scheduling on hard court last year was a bit aggressive. And by the time she got to the clay, she was exhausted. She said that, you know, playing fed cup last year for Russia, um, right after Charleston really just zapped her. Um, and she just wasn't mm. the same, um, you know, for, for quite a few months. And, and, you know, she started to pick it up a little bit towards the end of the season last year. But, yeah, I mean, she came into Charleston, Dasha did, on a four-match losing streak. This this from somebody who beat Kerber twice, uh, you know, already right. this season. Um, so, but she, she kind of dismissed all that and said, you know, like, yeah, okay, I beat Angelique Kerber, but... You know, who it, hasn't? But no, she didn't say that. But um, <laughs> but she did say, you know, it didn't do anything for my ranking, and I I would have rather right, sure. yeah. have gone deep at tournaments uh, than to get those two wins. And so, you know, arriving here in Charleston, you didn't really know what to expect. I mean, obviously, a junior Grand Slam champion, you expect her to do well on clay, but she didn't do that, as you said last year. So. This was a really big result for her, and I, and I think in a lot of ways it, it put her back on the map. I mean, I think that she was ranked outside the top 40 uh, mm-hmm. when this tournament started, and I just don't think of Daria Kasatkina as uh, – or Kasatkina, sorry um, – as as a non-top 30 player. Like, uh, to me, she's one of the 30 best players in the world. So yeah. it, it was nice to see her take advantage of it, take advantage of the situation. Obviously, the draw broke open. Uh, with the early losses by, you know, by, by uh, Venus and Madison. And and Dasha took advantage of it all. 
And and there's a lot to be said of that because especially going into a final where she played Yelena Ostapenko, another 19-year-old, a player who she has history with, you know, obviously in juniors and ITFs, you can see a player like her freezing in that moment. Yeah. I expected Ostapenko to win today. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I, can, I can totally understand that. I mean, Ostapenko had a tremendous tournament, but Dasha just had her game plan and she executed it and she stayed grounded and stayed focused. And, you know, it, it, it this was a big result for her. I mean, you can look at the wins and say, okay, who did she beat to get there? But just, you know, getting through the tournament, silencing the demons. She told me afterwards in, a, in our Champions Corner for WT Insider that you know, she feels like more of an adult at this point than she did a month ago. That a month ago she still felt mm. like a kid. She was incredibly frustrated with um, the way that her hardcourt season had gone because it hadn't, re- you know, yielded many results. And she said she had a really tough discussion with her team after Miami and um, really opened up and, and said, like, you know, very explicitly what she was disappointed with, where things were going wrong. And you know, between her and her coach, Vladimir Platenik, who's I just think is one of the best coaching pupil duos on the tour, uh, they really navigated this tournament well and, and it set her up really well. And, you know, this is the, the, the surface that she's supposed to strive on um, and really succeed on. So it, it sets her up for, for a good clay court season. I don't know if it'll come, you know, but 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 this is a, you know, you can't ask for a better start to it. Yeah, no, and I sidebar on on their coaching relationship. They they have, and there's been a lot of renewed discussion about encore coaching and merits of, and good look, bad look, that sort of thing, uh, in the past couple of weeks. But yawn. I've, but, but theirs are like my are consistently good and my favorite. And part of it, I think, is, and I don't know if this is your read on it, but there's something about both of them. He's he's Slovak, right? Yes. Yeah. So him him both of them speak they speak in English to each other in their second language. I don't know. It's something about that. The way they both speak English makes it like much more to the point. There's no like mm. time for indirectness. They're very blunt. It's kind of like ABBA lyrics, you know, the sort of ESL way makes it just way gets to your heart much quicker. I don't know. I, I think something about their they just have this very calm, professional, all business thing that they do. Of course, yeah, I, mean, I think I think they are like an exempt in terms of like there's a spectrum of effectiveness and of. Uh, uncomfortability in encore coaching at times yeah for sure and they land on the good side of both of those i think all the time yeah no i mean i i i find their coaching timeouts really really interesting and must uh must watch simply because he is so tactical uh when he talks to her so you know so i don't have a problem with encore coaching and this is probably a separate discussion to have uh for another podcast but where I really like it is when a it is a coach and player, you know. Well, let's talk tactics. Let's let's talk patterns that I need to execute. Where I don't really love it is when a coach comes down and just talks about emotional stuff. I, I, that's where I'm kind of like, come on, man. Like, tell her where to hit her forehand. Tell her, you know, the body serve is effective. Um, telling her to calm down and be like, you're fine. You're playing great. And she's down two breaks. Come on. Yeah. Like, and, and, don't, and I, don't patronize this person. And the thing that I love about. Yeah. Sorry. The thing that I love about uh, Vlado, he is he is never condescending to Dasha. When she is not playing well, he calls her out on it. And he offers solutions, which is great. 
And when she's playing great, he's like, come on, you're on this. You're good. And he and the word that you used, Ben, which is professional, is pre- precisely what applies to their relationship. Like yeah. she she's the boss. She's a 19 year old kid who has hired this guy who's had a ton of success. You know, he coached Sabolkova. He coached Wickmeyer. His ton of knowledge. She's hired him. He's come down. He's giving her advice and she immediately acts on it. And I really, really respect that because at 19 years old, it's really hard to be coachable. I think Daria Kasakina is incredibly coachable, at least for Vlado. He he's the Dasha whisperer. <laughs> there you go. Um, I I think so. I guess let's just uh, the last thing on her specifically before we get bigger picture. Um, I guess sort of if you can, because obviously I'm going to defer to you on any discussions about uh, Kasakina. Um, <laughs> if you can just sort of dust off the dossier, uh, you know, dust it off for people who might have forgotten who she was. I know we talked about her a fair amount. Like I said, first quarter of last year, she's been relatively under the radar the uh, last 12 months. Um, why should people care about her? And do you expect this title to, and look, this will get to a bigger picture question, but do you expect this title to immediately reap, you know, you know, blossom into more similar right. and bigger titles? Like where did, that's the, that's the, that's the big question WTA this year in general. Like, okay, you won this tournament, but. What does what that next? mean? I mean right. Even for Serena, you won this tournament. Are you ever going to play again? We don't know. Um, we have no idea. We have no um, idea. Uh, but yeah, for, for Kazakina, where'd she come from? I guess, I, is, is she really female Rafa? And what should we expect from her in the future, near and long term? Yeah, sure. I mean, in, in terms of the dossier, you know, I mean, I think that she really hit everyone's radar, at least for us uh at the WTA, you know, when she made the U.S. Open as a lucky loser and made the third round, um, that was really the first time that she had really, um, uh, yeah, like, it, we took notice of her. Um, she took Sheriff Hovitz's spot in that draw, I think, right? Yeah, she did. She yeah. did, exactly. And she and Daria Gavrilova, Dasha's best friend, uh, was supposed to be Sharapova, and then she played Kazakina instead, and Dasha won, or Kazakina won, sorry, that's not precise, when two Dashas are playing. Um, and I think that that tournament for me, when I was watching her, I was just like, man, I love her stroke production. She's a beautiful player to watch in, in terms of the way that she hits the ball. She makes things look effortless and, you know, but at the same time, she's a bit undersized, so she's never going to overpower every, anyone. And then that's always going to be an issue with her, how she kind of manages that aspect of her game. But, but yeah, you know, obviously had a, a breakout 2016, had a fantastic first three months of the season, and then teetered off from there. Just, I think, the, the, the fatigue of things and the stress of the Olympics and obviously being Russian, all those sorts of things took their toll. And, and she was never really able to do what she, what you thought she was supposed to do. And she had great opportunities. Like I said, she had match points against Sloan here in Charleston last year. Mm-hmm. Um, she had match points against against Vinci in Dubai or Doha, I want to say. Um, but there were a lot of close matches where she was not coming through. And, and you kind of began to think maybe... She had, she had an epic against Venus also I'll throw in there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Obviously at, at Wimbledon. Um, and you started to think maybe this kid's too soft. Maybe maybe she needs you know a couple years, three years to kind of get hard again and really be ambitious and back herself and have the confidence. And it, it reminded me last year a little bit of, a, of kind of the Madison Keys in terms of the, the mentality like that, you know, Madison three years ago of just not really truly believing that, that she had the game to compete at the highest of levels. 
And this year, obviously not a great start to the season aside from two wins over Kerber. Um, and then comes in and, and gets it done on her favorite surface. I think that looking forward, what this means, I think obviously once you win a, a title, especially when you're young, I mean, she's the first teenager to win a premier level tournament since uh, Benchich, um, uh, which is marginally surprising in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that, that, that Benchich was the last one, obviously in Toronto 2015. So that, that, you know, the, the Osaka's, the Kanyu's, the Bellis's, you know, these players that people talk about a lot, um, haven't broken through, although you shouldn't really expect them to, I think, in the current state sure. of the game. Um, but th- that she was able to get it done, and, and that, you know, obviously gets that monkey off of her back. You're a title winner. You move forward. Um, moving ahead, I don't know if people will consider this a, a compliment or not, but but I see her as the next generation Redvanska, um, as a player who you know, is never going to out-hit anyone. And so she doesn't have that uh, that arrow in her quiver, as it were. So she's going to have to outthink, and she's going to have to outsmart, and she's going to have to outfight a lot of the players that she plays against. And I know for a fact that Ostapenko was incredibly frustrated with the game that Kasakina threw at her today. And this is that whole discussion of what is, quote-unquote, real tennis, right? Like, you want to see the offensive stuff. You want to see if, if somebody plays defensively. No. Um, do you consider that auth- not authentic, but legit in a lot of ways? But there's purpose, uh, not unlike Radvanska, there's purpose behind the the defensiveness and the counter punching that, that Daria Kasakina does. And that is really refreshing. And and, and again, it's, it's a beautiful game to watch uh, when she is firing it's great stuff. So, so I've you know, I know the WTA Insider team has been hyping Kasakina for for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, we backed this horse. I mean, um, for 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 a first hand perspective on this, from me, I mean, you will you will happily if I ever sit at a desk near you, you'll be like watching her doubles matches when there's will, other things yeah. going on. You're like, what is Kasakina doubles? It's great. Yeah, yeah no, I I just love watching the kid hit a tennis ball. I, I yeah. just think that she can do a lot of things that a lot of the players of her age group cannot do. And so in that way, I'm intrigued by her. And, and But there are big challenges. I mean, at the end of the day, the tour right now and, and the way that it looks going forward is still a power tour, right? I mean, it is a, a sport where you would expect power players to, to break through. I mean, Ostapenko, she's 19. She's made three finals already. You know, like she can get hot yeah. and... and Blow Asta you away. Pico. Yeah. Asta Pico. Yeah. Asta Pico hit 40 winners in two sets on clay against Caroline Wozniacki. That is hard to do. <laughs> on a cold, blustery night. Like that's not, you're not supposed to be able to do that, you know? So, so the power will always, at the end of the day, for me, be what you back in the, the business end of tournaments. Um, because power generally is, is what wins in the final. But that is what, to me, makes Kasakina very, very intriguing as a player, is can you do it? Can this game plan and this style of game execute against massive hitters? And she's going to take bad losses, and she's going to get bundled out of tournaments early. But to, to I don't know, there, there's just that hope within me that, like, this game works. It, it, it yeah. can work. I think I think the Radvanska comparison is interesting because I don't think if that's not the first one I would have come up with just because she's not kind of shot maker like Radvanska. I mean, you don't think of I don't think sure. of Sasakina as being this sort of you know trick shot or sort of you know highlight reel 
you know, drop, you know, crazy drop. Half she doesn't have August touch. Right. No. So right. I, I think maybe a little bit for me, maybe a little bit more of a, a Ronnie. It's not the exact same. I don't know. So, something something like you're right. A counterpuncher for sure. And someone who will at, be at a power disadvantage in matches against people like Ostapenko, but will be able to outthink them at times and win matches handily, even if things are going her way. Um, so I know I do think it's interesting that you mentioned that you called her next generation Ravanska also, because I was just doing an interview with a Polish reporter a couple, a few weeks ago about like what Ravanska's legacy will be. And the example I said is like, I think people will remember her because like, I am sure people are going to start referring to new players as like the new Ravanska. There you go. For better or for worse. I think that's going to happen. So yeah, so Aga lives. No matter what happens the rest of her career, she will be uh, a, a legend, or at the very least, as she arch- should, or at the very least, an archetype. So in in, for, in, in an yeah. era, particularly even more so with Aga. Obviously, we don't know how the 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 future of the WTA is going to look for Kasarkina. Um but but for Aga to do what she has done in an era of of big big hitters, it, it's hard to really shade that. Honestly, I mean, I know no. that people will. But but um, you're really discounting the fact that somebody who doesn't have the biggest weapon um, on tour, which is power, has been able to to you know use her guile and use her her brain to outthink these players. I think that's massive. I mean, my, my gosh, for for all of the waxing over David Ferrer, <laughs> Ravanska has the same package and has done so much better results wise. So. Let's yeah pour several out for her and her legacy. And this sort of oddly timed, out of nowhere, Radvanska tribute this episode turned into. But there's never a bad time for this in my, my mind. My life is a is an Aga tribute. <laughs> pretty, so pretty much. Oh, actually, fair. speaking of, I actually just bought uh, the very the T-shirt that I made of the the handshake thing from our from our Spencer <laughs> store. I just I just well, got then. it in the mail when I came home from my trip just today, and I'm very happy with it. So it feels like I'm looking forward to wearing. August semi-likeness <laughs> on myself and expressing all of that. Anyway, so I guess I guess with this final, so I've alluded to this story before, but like, and I, we talked about it in previous episodes already, and it hasn't really changed. You would think on paper that this in a vacuum would be this incredibly hypeable final. You know, this two teenagers meeting in a final, two teenagers, you know, who've slowly been building up, had some good wins, had good wins, especially Asipenko had that good win over Wozniacki to get there. Um, Kasakina is someone we've known for a while. I'm not even going to try to go back and say it right. I'm just going to say However, it's, I'll, it's a process. The it's thing. fine. It's okay. Um, yeah. The So this would be, on paper, a really huge final and something, I don't know, like the next-gen people would be so excited. Oh, my God. Imagine if like there was, you know, a Riley Opelka versus, uh, I don't know, who else is even next-gen? Taylor Fritz, you know, final 500 event. be amazing. But I guess the question, and not that it would necessarily lead to anything on ATP, but just... This on on WTA and I've been this like semi genuinely I don't I don't know if I do have an answer but like, does anything mean anything anymore? Like <laughs> where do we go from here? Like this just it's been this complete, you know, literally like take a number of results it seems like overall in results this year, and um, I, I think each of these things they all track somewhere but I just don't know where it's all headed. It's just it's just lack of a clear protagonist on tour right now. I think it's what's sort of interesting. There's like, I'm trying to figure out like what TV show to compare it to. I don't know if it's more Orange is the New Black, but at least they have like Piper, who's sort of your way into the thing, even if she's incredibly annoying. Um, 
but Piper's been like assuming Piper is Serena, which doesn't really work. Um, is you know has been off camera for a while now and no hints about what she's up to. Um, or is it like I don't know? It's some ensemble show. I want to say I want to say that I want to say that it's lost, but I feel like that just maybe it's no. a little too on the nose Look. in terms of like everyone just running around doing. But there, I don't know. Even Lost had like more clear narratives, and I don't know who this is. Ostapenko, the smoke monster. I don't know. I don't know any of this. Courtney, well, where I are mean, we going? If you, if, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if if first quarter I, wrap, I, I totally... like generally, where have we been and where are we going? Let's put it that way. Let's make a sure. big picture and zoom out. We'll get to the men Fair side enough. of this next, but some of sure. the men, the women's first quarter. I, I think that the lost analogy, although weird, isn't tremendously off. I mean, I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, Serena's the smoke monster. She <laughs> is that presence that you know is there. And, and you know that anytime that she comes back, when she decides to come back and play a tournament, that she can wreck folks is, at will. Yeah, mm. she is the driver of the story, that she can do a lot of things. But that doesn't mean that the rest of the, the survivors on the island don't have their own separate narratives going, you know, can be and, very compelling. And in a lot of ways and which can be compelling. And I think that, you know, it's just stepping back. I mean, you and I have talked about this many times about why is it that you and I more so than I think most tennis reporters love the WTA and, and, and really use the WTA as like an entree into the sport. And it, it, it is what uh, kind of fuels our fire in different ways is that you don't know. That unlike a, a soap opera that happens, you know, daily, and I've always compared the tour to a, to a soap opera, not because of like any off court stuff, but just like something's happening all the time that you need to be aware of. Um, and I think that you know sometimes there are storylines that just don't amount to anything, and sometimes there are storylines that seem small and they get blown up, you know, as you go forward. And I think that this year, while I totally understand this argument, and I think that's fair that there isn't a, a, a specific protagonist. There are kind of, you know, the primary stars of the show, the drivers of the show, the, the Jacks, the, uh, I can't even remember their actual names. I know their actor names, like Evangeline Lilly. Yeah, what was her, uh, Kate, her Kate. whole thing. Kate and yeah. uh, Charlie. Dominic, the Charlie, there you go. And yeah. Hurley, you still have a cast. Oh, and I've made this argument throughout. Like, the Koreans. You have a cast. Oh. Oh my God, the most heartbreaking storyline of all was the Koreans. Let's not even pretend. But uh, but you still, in the midst of the smoke monster, you still have five to seven players that drive the narrative of the tour. And and so as much as people want to point to like chaos, it's not chaos. Really I mean, though, I mean at like the end, I don't know. It's not though. Who are these? You have who are Pliskova. These, who are these five? Yeah, okay. So Pliskova, I was yeah, so Pliskova. ready for Pliskova to take over and be the Jack who like creates some sort of order out of this plane crash. But like I don't know, I was I was underwhelmed by Pliskova's sunshine double swing. Like I okay, I, I thought she would take month. more advantage. She of still that. has okay, but she still has two titles. She's still the primary driver. We still, when you watch her play, you know that the game is right there. You date it all the way back to the final of of the U.S. Open. I mean, and she's it's number one in the race. There. I mean, and she she's it's, for, she's yes. the best answer. I just expected her to have asserted herself more before clay, where I don't expect big things from her on European clay. No, she's gonna she's gonna hit a bit of a wall when the yeah. play comes, and that's but that has a lot to do with. I mean, that's a pretty similar storyline to a lot of the players who have, who have driven the first three months of the tour on the WTA. You're talking about Pliskova, who doesn't have clay court bona fides. You're talking about Kanta, who doesn't have clay court bona fides. You're talking about Wozniacki, clay court bona fides. No. Yeah. You know Venus, 
like that but that's but that's kind of a glorious thing is that like on a weird way as opposed to another side of the tour like we are a, a pretty surface specific there are clay court specialists on the wta tour you know you would expect that a simona Halep who's starting to round into form who started to find her legs in 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 miami should do well you know and and you have obviously maria sharapova returning in stuttgart yeah. who knows what the heck's going to happen there um obviously serena who's played well on clay so things are going to shift if as, she plays. As, as things clay sibylkova is done well on clay yeah sibylkova and that's normal like i don't understand i don't really understand like denigrating the fact that the person who like dominated hard courts is probably going to falter on clay like that's kind of how it's supposed to be that's how it's been traditionally is that we have kind of like surface specific specialists and then a and venus and, and you know they're going to rear their heads when when things hit grass again that's what you would expect so I do think that there is this cast of like five to seven people who have driven the storylines, the Russians across the board, Sveta, Pavs, Viznina, Kasatkina, like they've had a great okay. like yeah, five, six months. You're getting way over five to seven. Now we're reaching more Orange is the New Black territory where you have to learn like what the second meth head's name is also. Orange is the New Black is driven by Piper and that's a dumbass storyline. But like the heart of the story is like Pusey. Right. And like red, you know, there are going to be side characters who are going to bring the heft and bring the storylines. Like a Viznina, great storyline. Do you, obviously we want it to carry forward. Do we will it? I don't know. Like I like Orange is the New Black. I I enjoy watching it. I just would have a my job is to write a plot summary of this show and like a sort of Wikipedia like two paragraph like you know blurb of what happened this season on Orange is the New Black slash WTA slash you know you know, Women's Tennis Association slash Litchfield Prison. And I just find it very hard to condense it all into something, sure, that, into not, something that tells you what happened this season and moves it forward. The WTA it's just, is it's, not Homeland. It's not a propulsive, you know, storyline that's going to just... Homeland's confusing too, like, but yeah. Homeland's confusing, but there's a still, like, you know, like each episode builds, builds, builds. Yeah. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, <laughs> because we're doing this, uh, the WTA is more like the Americans. Hmm. There are a lot of small storylines that happen and little things that you're like, that's intriguing, but it might not amount to anything. It might have just been an intriguing plot point in that moment. It also could come back in the season finale and be relevant. You don't know. But you tune in because the characters are intriguing. You're trying to pay attention to like and, and watch them deal with the situation that has been dealt to them. And it's still compelling. And and so, yes, is there a propulsive narrative? And do you know what's going to happen? No, not in any That's, way. And I think there's there's some curveballs surely coming down the road. Yeah, and I, th I think that's what but, I, that's how I would sort of pitch it, too. Is like you said, obviously, as you framed it at the beginning, like we are both, you know, people who enjoy the dynamism of, of women's tennis parody and how everything – and, and sort of this year, I think it's, it's like the extreme examples of this. I mean, like Serena's going to reclaim the number one ranking, having not played. So this is a weird time. Um, and so it's almost like everything matters and nothing matters. Like, let's say like, you know, um, Vesnina wins the U.S. Open this year. People will be able to say, oh, yeah, you know, she won India well, so of course this makes sense. But she could do nothing in between. And, sure. and be completely off radar. And that's, called, that's sort of what has happened in the past couple years. I mean, that's the sort of the little bit of the more condensed version of what happened with Panetta. I mean, right. Panetta, Wells, Panetta, banked, yeah. Panetta banked these results, making, obviously winning Indian Wells uh, 
a year and a half earlier, but also had, had made a U.S. Open semifinal and a couple other quarterfinals, where when you actually looked at Panetta's resume after she won, it was like, oh, this kind of makes sense. But as you were watching this show, you never thought she was like, you know, the one who shot Jr. or would shoot Jr. or whatever the, you know, there's <laughs> that, a lot of cross plot happening here. But, but that's you know, my yeah, point, right? Yeah. It's like this idea of like, with the WTA, what is compelling is that you have to pay attention week to week. You cannot take any week off. That's an exhausting thing about that the is tour, um, both as a fan and as an employee. <laughs> but um, but you you can't like even like I was supposed to have like the second week of Miami off, like official vacation, like whatever. And I was like, hold on, like how am I supposed to talk about the tour and not pay attention to Miami? I have to pay attention to Miami. Oh, Courtney, take because your something vacation. is going to happen there. And I don't take vacations, Aww. so it's how it is. But, it, I mean, it was fine. I worry about but, you. Take your vacation. <laughs> I will get a week after Stuttgart. Okay, there you go. That is my vacation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you pay attention because a, a result – who – I mean, freaking A. Like, who knew that, like, Kerber choking to Safarova uh, in Singapore, like, two years ago was going to be the, the spark that, that, that brings on everything in 2016? You don't know. Yeah. And so you pay attention. Now, if you want a, you know, predictable storyline or you want a, a story that only has maybe four different plot points. We'll switch to the men the WTA is not The WTA is probably not for you. I didn't say it. But, like, the WTA is probably not for you. But, like, the, 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 the women's tour requires you to really pay attention to like about you know 16 threads at a time it's a lot um it's a lot and, and it's a burden and i can understand people being like that's too much i want something simpler i think it, and i, totally th- and I com- think it, totally and I think, fine i think it will i think those threads have to by like laws of physics have to like braid themselves into something a little bit more manageable just over time i feel like and maybe this is naive but I feel like especially just and even in terms of the rankings, as Kerber at number one continues to her her hole continues to weaken. Uh, she made it to the final of of Monterey, lost to uh, Pavlyuchenkova in the final. That's not a good run by number one standard. So I don't see that as a big boost for her. It could be worse, obviously, that week, but it was not a great week for her either. Um, as this vacuum sort of creates, I, did, I don't know. That's what I was expecting Pliskova to do, to step up faster and to sort of grab it by the throat this tour faster than she has and maybe she still will and it'll just come by the u.s open instead of by miami um that's all plausible and fine. but i but i will say in in defense of carolina it took very good efforts from her opponents to knock her off oh yeah sure i mean sveta played amazing in india wells like that was a great match from her um and then what was it conta in miami uh wozniacki no. she kind of flopped against wozniacki in those last two sets which was always going to be a tough that's, that's a that, bad match you know, that's like, a weird this is a player match. who's yeah. never beaten Rodvodska so so you understand that like when you put her right. up against a defensive no, counterpunch and, 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 and it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure to put on you know a lot of expectation and I was saying this even before Serena went kind of AWOL I remember her having a conversation uh with our photographer and Jimmy in Auckland saying like I and I've said this we said this on the podcast too like I expect Pliskova to be number one at some point this year at that point I wasn't thinking March so that would have right. been ridiculous um, especially with, you know, she didn't gain big points. She didn't win the Australian Open or something. that would have made that fast-tracked. Um, but even though we both picked her too. Um, oops. But, you know, she's in the conversation. It's just going to take time. It's just it's just a – I think it's a, just a 
a period that will crystallize. It just hasn't yet. And the chaos is chaotic. To use well, yeah, the, I mean, it, a, when you have, you know, the, th yeah, the three kind of drivers of the tour, the alphas, if you will, yeah. in uh, in Serena and Maria and Vika out. And throw in a fourth with uh, Kvitova if you want, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, Kvitova was never an alpha. Not an alpha, yeah, um, but at least a, I mean, the, a power player, you know. Sure, but the, the but the closest thing that you have to an alpha now is, is Wozniacki. And, and obviously she's played well and, and she's been good and she had a shot to be number one in the RTS this week and uh, could have broken back into the top ten, but... The fact remains, she's made three finals. She struck out three times, um, and she got blasted off the court by Ostapenko on clay, um, which is not. A, which is also kind yeah. of classic Wozniacki. Like she'll win a lot of matches. This is the thing. It's like and then her best does not beat other people's best. You know. This is the discussion that surrounds Caroline in a lot of ways, which is that, as much as obviously the resurgence is obvious, she absolutely is resurgent. But what is that resurgence to? Is it to? the Wozniacki that existed before, which is a player who can get blasted off the court, who is still going to be vulnerable against, you know, very aggressive offensive-minded players, who plays a lot. She's played a lot of tournaments this, this year already. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I in February when she had that run through Doha and Dubai making the final back-to-back -back finals, I kind of really thought, okay, this is going to be a more aggressive, a more – successful Wozniacki this time around and and obviously that hasn't panned out you know in April um, I mean she is number two in the race like she's had a great year no it's been yeah. it's phenomenal and this is what we expect of Caroline like obviously like she slumped for two years I mean we get that um the question is though like is this a new Caroline yeah or is this a reversion to you know the old kind and, and that's a question that I don't one. really have an answer yeah. to which was still number one and all that but um, it's it's a question I don't really have an answer to. It is um, it is a fascinating time. I tell you, there's no there's no there's only questions and not a lot of answers, and that just it just makes it like I said a, a show a bit like Lost. You hope you get answers at some point. Your patience may start to run out slowly, but you'll get payoffs. There'll be big dramatic Whoa! moments with you know smoke <laughs> monsters and such, and it'll be fun. Keep watching. You maybe don't watch the sixth season, but I don't even know what that means in WTA uh, analogy terms. Um, but if, okay, so if the women are like lost or Orange is New Black or the Americans, I feel like with Federer coming back, I don't know. I feel like the men are something like remark. I want the first, my first thought was like Charlie Rose or something. <laughs> I feel like something that's just like incredibly calming and reliable and yeah, un unexciting and just like seems like perennial. Seems kind of like old as dirt in a reassuring way. I don't know what show that is exactly. Maybe like a Mr. Hmm. Rogers Neighborhood kind of thing. I mean, you see what a dad he's being lately with all the kid videos and stuff. Um, I don't know. That actually works. His name is Roger. Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Uh -huh. um, yeah, uh, I don't... Uh, I I think that there it's just an interesting moment. And with that Charlie Rose-ness, as much as people are loving it, not that Charlie Rose ever got the kind of approval ratings that or you know popularity <laughs> scores that Federer does, but it's also weirdly... Uh, what's the word? Uh, like, because like we're, we're reverting, you know. We've got we got Federer and Nadal finals at two of the three biggest tournaments of the year so far, and they played in the fourth round of the third one. And different results with Federer winning all of them, but I don't know. It's just it's just also it seems more like uh, sort of a reunion 
special thing than like new original programming you know maybe 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 roger coming back is like that gilmore girls reboot <laughs> are any of these analogies no, it's, good it's Probably not, not. No. it's not um it doesn't talk nearly that fast yeah i mean you know look i mean roger venus and mariana lucic baroni are like the three best stories of the season oh yeah um uh, by far, and in, but even with Roger, when we talk about it, and we isolate it, and I've I've made I've made this argument on the podcast before. It's not like he was shit. No. Like people were trying to like pull this whole thing of like, oh, he was crappy, and then he had you know he was out of the sport for ten years, and now he's. It's like no, come on. He he was making Grand Slam semifinals. He was right there, um, you know, and and running up against Novak as as he's pointed out many many times before. Um, his body obviously let him down at Wimbledon last year, but outside of that, yeah, he, he took some time off. But you know, this is—that's not to obviously take away. I think that what Roger's done is is phenomenal. I I would never have guessed that, um, you know, sitting here looking towards the clay season, that this is where we were at. You know, in terms of like he completed the Sunshine Double, he won a Slam. It is nutty. It it's is nutty. It's it is crazy. Nutty. It's crazy. But at the end of the day. We also have seen this show before. That's a, I, I'm really glad that you pointed. We've pointed this, this out repeatedly on the show um, because we talk about the same people all the time. Uh, in that <laughs> Federer, Federer's like, and I don't think the narrative was this completely, but like Federer hasn't. The only time Federer had a very brief period of what we would call true suck by yes. Federer standards, which was 2013, like second half of 2013, when his back was bothering him when he lost second round to Stakowski at Wimbledon and had that horrible match against Tommy Robredo at the U.S. Open that he lost. Um, that was, like, the nadir of Federer. But since then, like, last year he barely played 2016, but the two slams he did play, uh, Australia and Wimbledon, he made the semis. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty good. That's pretty damn pretty good. good. And before the year before that, he made he made the final of Wimbledon in the U.S. Open. And the fi- year before that, he made the final of Wimbledon in 2014. So, like, he's been fine. The main thing that kind of happened is, and he said this too, is that Djokovic got out of his way. Djokovic yep. fell off, and Murray also fell off. Murray hadn't been the one blocking him directly, but Murray's also gotten out of the tour's way, and that's helped Nadal too. Nadal is not, no one thinks this is Nadal's best tennis ever. Uh, Nadal's almost the Venus, maybe, in this scenario, where like he's getting through with tennis that people know isn't you know peak him, but it's been enough. And he's playing, I think he's playing better closer to his peak than Venus is to her career peak. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a odd sort of similar, it's similar to W it's similar to WTA maybe more than it looks like in that. I feel like the stage has been cleared, but unlike WTA, Roger's just the clear one person who grabbed a hold of the, the mic or whatever, the, you know, baton and is, t- is running with it and isn't being caught. And there just hasn't yeah. been that one person on WTA to do that yet. And so Roger does this and it's people are ecstatic about it and now he's going to pretty much not play the clay which I'm fairly ecstatic about. I've been saying people shouldn't play clay like Venus <laughs> to mention Venus again uh, for yeah. years and we've said this in the show and Venus is the best example possible because she's so good on grass and struggles so much on clay and has occasionally picked up injuries on clay that have hurt her on grass later on. And so for Roger being 35 saying I'm not planning on playing Maybe just the French Open at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if he got rid of that later. Uh, I think it's a very, very smart step for him. So, Roger's kind of winning at this whole thing. Most definitely. I mean, you know, 
he uh, so much of it is too, and and it's impossible to kind of uh, you know dismiss this. Is that this is also what the sport wants? It's what commentators want. They want to see Roger doing well. You know, it was cracking me up. You know, once Roger won Miami, of all these tweets that I saw in my timeline of like. When's the last time somebody completed the Sunshine Double? <laughs> I was like, uh, literally Novak last Djokovic year. Had, literally <laughs> last year. Like, what are you talking about? Like, stop it. Stop it, you guys. Stop it. Like, stop trying to, like, make it out that this guy's, like, doing things that nobody's ever done before. And Novak had won like, Australia also. Novak done exactly. that same triple. Novak done that whole triple. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, come on. Like, this is a bit disrespectful. At the end of the day, though. We know this in the sport. This is what the sport wants. And, and Roger sells tickets and he, you know, increases viewership and all these sorts of things. And he deserves everything that he's getting. I mean, he's played incredible tennis throughout the season um, that he was able to physically get through Indian Wells and Miami, I think, is 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 really remarkable, more remarkable than winning even the Australian Open to me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really, really, really good episode of a show that I've seen before. I, maybe maybe I'm going the wrong route trying to make him TV. Maybe he's more like the Bruce Springsteen or something. Somebody who you know yeah, is still true. is still kind of relying on their older stuff. Large, or those are still the crowd pleasers. But you know has put out some good stuff recently that was critically acclaimed, if not as remembered. And you know is still sells out arenas everywhere, and people go nuts for him. And people is still sort of this cultish thing. And none of these analogies are perfect, but I mean. Basically, Roger is, I just feel like it's, it's such an incredible bonus for men's tennis, just from a pure business yeah. perspective, that this chaos, their chaos period of Djokovic and Murray, they're number one, number two, neither of whom right now are in position to qualify for London, I'm pretty sure, um, being this sort of, <laughs> it's a gross analogy coming up, but like this sort of shit cake being iced over with an RF logo. <laughs> no. I, I you think know? so. I mean, and that's exactly again, what's happened if, here. If you think about it, right, with, with, with what's going on with Novak, with Andy, even Rafa not being at his best, what does the ATP season look like if if Roger doesn't step up? Uh, yeah. I mean, it looks, I mean, you know, it, I mean, I'm first, and, and I'm not, not saying that's a rhetorical that question, yeah, but. But I'm not even yeah. saying that it's bad. I mean, maybe it gives the opportunities for the Kyrgios's, the Zverev's. You know, the younger generation has stepped through. Yeah. Um, maybe there, there are different opportunities. But all I'm saying, and obviously I'm biased here as I, I, I cover women's tennis and I work for the tour, but is that for all the discussion of the chaos and what does it all mean, you know, sort of thing on the women's side, what does the men's tour look like if Roger's not stepping into the void? Yeah. And... You know, that's a very real question because that is the question that is the one that needs to be answered on both tours going forward. Because we all know that the end of the Serena Maria era is going to come. Venus, it's going to come. And we all know that the end of the Roger, uh, Rafa, Novak, Andy era is going to come. And so these are the questions that need to be asked and they need to be answered. And I saw one tweet today that I, I, you know, it definitely hit home for me. Which is that, like, we had, you know, for the WTA, we had two 19-year-olds competing in a ATP equivalent, ATP 500. Yeah. And the buzz around it was pretty minimal. Let's be frank. If 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 Kyrgios plays Verev yeah. in the final of, I don't know, what's a 500 these days? Um, Dubai, Washington. Dubai. Like sure. That. Yeah. That's a, I'm guessing that's a really big deal, and it's this whole next-gen situation, and, 
you know, like, oh, it's the future yeah. of the tour. It's like, well, yeah. And here we have this great contrast of styles and a big tournament and everybody's kind of like, Ugh. yeah, I mean, I think I think that's just sort of I think, yeah, it's a tough uh I, I think a bunch Look, of Look, I'm not oh, saying I, that it should be equal. I, I'm never saying that it should be equal. I'm just simply pointing out yeah. that there is a difference. No. And, I, cer- and, and certainly, I think I said that sort of earlier, too. Like, certainly on paper, like, these two teenagers meeting should be this huge, momentous thing. And I think just the, the previous surroundings of WTA not knowing what anything means maybe makes that cloudier than I've done ATP. But to switch to Kyrgios, we should talk about him. Because he's had an amazing first quarter of this year. Amazing. Also... Uh, well, actually, not first quarter, but last couple months because his, Austra- his Australian run was pretty terrible. Actually, um, he didn't do well at Hopman Cup at all, and then he lost second round to Seppi in Melbourne, and so he didn't get the year off on the good on a good foot, but absolutely turned it around. I guess really just in Acapulco, uh, beating Djokovic there. That was his first real result, um, or at least first red letter result, and then backed it up beating Djokovic again, and then made this Miami semi and played great against Federer. Um, I mean, Kyrgios looks like a legitimate power rankings. It doesn't have the results to back this up yet, but I would got I gotta say like top five, right? It's Absolutely. like it's like big and if especially even depending on how recency bias you go with your power rankings. I mean, like in terms of just twenty sixteen results, he's ahead of Djokovic and Murray. Um, but maybe long term, you don't bank. You know, depends on how you how you're formulating these things. But he's very much there, and his breakthrough to win a big title. I hope to sort of cement this. It's it's funny, like in, in WTA you get the title before the hype, and in ATP there's all this hype and no titles for these younger guys. Um, <laughs> I feel like his title could come anywhere. First of all, he's been pretty good on clay, uh, better than you would think. Uh, so he could win like a Madrid. Um, he made the final of Estoril, no? Yeah, he yeah he made the final of Estoril. Yeah, and he's beaten Federer and Vavrinka both on clay. Um, so I mean, his his stats like on paper are ridiculous for somebody who's not even a top tenner yet and hasn't even come that close to the top ten in terms of points yet. So he's doing things in this strange order, but he I think remains. I think he really, really got himself back on a good track for now. Seems like the best track he's ever been on. He just led also Australia to a three one win over the U S. in Davis Cup in this sort of very like workman like no nonsense performance um, there. And obviously, Aussie Davis Cups had all sorts of drama. Uh, Tomic was not there. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Kyrgios seems more solid now. And I think that should strike fear in the hearts of a lot of competitors and other contenders for these crowns. And also a lot of excitement in people who have found it, at times, frustrating to be invested in him in recent years. Yeah, I mean, he's he said pretty outwardly that he's he's happiest. He is the happiest now. Yeah. Um, with respect to his career and, and the way, his relationship with tennis uh, as he's ever been. And um, that, you know, things were really bad and dark for him the way that his 2016 ended. And with the suspension really and ban, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, he's kind of gotten a clean slate in 2016, which he deserves, or 2017, which he deserves. And, and he's backing it up, you know. I mean, the drama and the antics have been minimal. And, um, less. I wouldn't say minimal, but less. What are we talking? I mean, hold on. I mean, when we're talking about Nick, what are we talking about? I mean, I mean you set the, it depends on where you set the bar for him compared to an, uh, uh, you know, your average player. But he still, you know, has plenty of tempestuousness of his own kind on court, like in that Roger match. You know, yelling at officials, yelling at the crowd, things you don't see from other players. Yeah, well, if he's, somebody's he's gonna a, yell, he's his if own. Somebody's normal. gonna yell out in a third set tiebreak at six all. 
when I'm about to like potentially make it into a master's final, my first one, and beat the greatest player of all time, and they're going to yell out in the middle of the court, I have the right to say shut the fuck up. I'm, I'm not, sorry. I'm, like, not I think sa- that that's... I'm not saying it's unjust, but I'm just saying he still runs at a hotter temperature than sure and that's and that's how his tennis comes but when it comes to delivering on court between the lines he's been doing it yeah you know all of the stuff that people like still hold against him with respect to like you know the whole sledging with stan or tanking again in shanghai none of that's been there he's been very very focused he's going to do what he does on court it's not unlike what what in my opinion andy murray does in terms of like getting really down on himself screaming at his his box all these sorts of things over time, Nick will realize that he doesn't need to do that and that it's a waste of time but and energy. But, like, right now, he, he's playing amazing tennis, and it's it's fun to watch. And the kid puts butts in seats, man. Like, he – I mean, you and I both know this. Like, mm-hmm. he's – when we sit there and we look at a stadium like, Indian, it, it, you know, the stadium court at Indian Wells or any of the big courts, the Foro Italico in Rome, whatever, and you look around and you think, who's going to sell this out? in five, six years. And the two names that come down are, are Kyrgios and, and, and Zverev. That's what it is. But like primarily, it's Kyrgios. The kid yeah. moves the needle in a way, and I just love seeing that he's actually backing it up. He's playing great tennis, entertaining tennis, still, you know, having his little flights of fancy <laughs> in the middle of matches, <laughs> like going for like tweeners where you're like, what the, what are you doing, man? Like you don't need to do that. But you let him have those outlets you know, to just kind of like have fun, but ninety-five percent of the time he's been dialed in, which is great. Yeah, no, he has been it's good for the ATP. It has been really good for the ATP, I think, and really refreshing to see. Like I said, him. It just again, we said this all the time with these players. With him and Tomic, Tomic is trending down in the sense, but the reason we care about Nick through all the highs and lows and would tolerate and have patience for highs and lows, we wouldn't, you know, ride out with other, honestly, lesser talents. Is because he has this much talent. And we know what his upside is and how relevant he can be. And he still can win slams, um, you know, with even without everything being perfect. Because he's just that damn good. And he can win slams very soon, you know, assuming... Because right, right now, if all the tour has is... I mean, I expect Federer... I expect Djokovic and Murray to get their feet back under them this year and do better. I expect them to make it to London, to put it that way. That's where they set the bar right now. I expect them to still be top 10 players this year. But... Um, there's the openings. I mean, like it's the sort of Ronich rule of old is in effect right now. Yeah. And the, and the, the, that's the interesting thing about it is like we used to talk about how the top guys, the big forwards, fade away, and it would make room for this new generation or not younger generation, which included the Nisha Corys and the Ronichs, and maybe Curious and Zverev too. If you want to lump them in, but <laughs> I feel like Federer is almost like vultured. Time that wasn't supposed to be his. He just like <laughs> hung around late, you know, like stayed in the pool after Adult Swim and just taking all the candy from the kids or something <laughs> so uh so that's uh that's pretty much what's going on on the atp um i guess other other thoughts on big picture thoughts on things that have happened the first quarter of this year anything stand out to you and sort of um, first lap of, of however many look back show yeah i mean I, i've been incredibly impressed by venus um, oh yeah i don't know i don't know how she's doing it but she's doing it uh, which is pretty great. Um, Johanna Conta doing what she did in Miami. Yeah, Con- we should have Conta. Yeah. Yeah, Joko Mania. I mean, she's she's. Uh, you know, I I think that it's it's hard. You know, you you look at Joe and you look at her trajectory, and there's a part of me that's like, eh, really? Are you for real? 
I, I, I don't know if you're for real. Um, but that's unfair to her. I mean, she's notching, you know, didn't she's racking have, up the wins. Didn't we have this conversation in Australia? I feel like I kind Probably, of, yeah. I bought her for realness for real when she won Sydney and how she won that tournament. I think that's oh, where I like, that's tremendous. where I like pretty much was like, okay, you are no longer this weird, like overachieving year haver. Like you are playing tennis that because it's, you know, we're flipping over the calendar again and you're still doing it appears more sustainable than I thought. And her, she, of the WTA results, of the sort of big tournament results, hers was almost the one that I think was the tidiest in that it was, like, the easiest to sort of track coming. You know, there's more clear building block steps winning sure. a couple premier titles to build up to this premier mandatory title, you know, in this in this uh, last year, winning Stanford and winning Sydney. I think she, you know, put together steps. And, uh, again, you know, and is somebody who I think is – composing a co- cohesive thing that makes sense in a way that not every but not every result on tour has right now yeah no i mean she's been she's been really really good and you know i think that that there's no way to deny that she's for real at this point and just also the way that she goes about her career and just really single-minded really really focused um you know, and, and not getting ahead of herself. I think that the yeah. partnership with Wim is, is really, really good. Yeah. I think that the personality-wise, they, they gel really well. And she seems just a little bit more comfortable than she did a year ago. Yeah, Like she's sure. definitely impressed, I certainly see. It's just a little bit more at ease, a little bit less. I, I got the sense during her run to the Australian semis last year that she sort of didn't believe that it would it was real and that if she, like, blinked or, like, took one wrong step or, like, might wake up from the dream. And was like so like unwilling to sort of maybe, you know, or was was hesitant to like ask like and dive into like possibly like, you know, probing questions or like questions where she might, it might the house of cards might fall apart. And now I feel like she has a lot more faith in the mortar and bricks that her game is built around, and she just seems to to buy into what we're saying sort of too in her own way that it's not that this is really happening, and, adjust, yeah, no, and adjusting but- accordingly. I, I really, really hope for her that she has a great Wimbledon. Yeah, I have so too. Because I think that she deserves that. I think that she deserves for the British public to believe in her as well. And, you know, her success has been outside of of Britain um, on all accounts. And, you know, for her to do it on home soil would be massive. And it would be – she deserves that. And I think that it's always one of those really unfair things in tennis that – if you have great success outside of your home country, it doesn't resonate. You know, you, we see this with Americans quite a bit. Sure. Um, you know, Madison making semifinals. I mean, Sloan, she broke out a little bit when she made her semifinal run. But Coco. She beat Serena. Making yeah. the semifinals. Yeah, she, you know, beating Serena matters. But, um, but with, like, Madison, you know, like, had a great season. Doesn't really translate because she didn't do it at home. Yeah. And, um, and so with, with Kanta, I mean, she has this, this very narrow – you know, Star Wars, X-Wing dropping down, like very <laughs> narrow target that she needs to hit, which is like do well on grass at Wimbledon. So I hope that she can make a quarterfinal there at a minimum. I think the Joko mania uh, would be awesome. She is awesome. She's she's so smart. Really one of my favorite players to talk to. Um, her game is to me um, – I don't know. I, I don't mean to say this and to denigrate another player, but but she plays the way that Bouchard means to play. Yeah. 
but has the physicality and the balance and the technique to pull it off. So, and that's, uh, may, and that's maybe where I was like seeing that sort of similar sort of her technique is a lot cleaner than Bouchard's, but like yes. that similar sort of like mentality made me almost maybe maybe gave me some pause about thinking if it was sustainable or not in a sort of similar to Bouchard type way, maybe even if the highs yeah, I mean, weren't it, as high as Bouchard highs and at slams. Sure, but but the, I mean, the game is um, Conta's game is you know now having kind of been immersed in it for like a couple years uh it's it's replicable like at first when i saw it i was like i don't know if you can do this consistently you're taking the ball incredibly early um you know you're really swinging for the lines really swinging for depth um and it, it reminded me a lot of bouchard i think the biggest difference is that conta has a really really reliable serve so she you know one of the most um overlooked things with respect to the, the WTA tour is like how Conta leads a lot of, or is least in the top three or four um, in a lot of the service categories. Yeah. She was like number three or four in aces last year. Mm-hmm. I think uh, second behind, serve is really good too. Yeah. Her second serve is great. So that, that makes a big difference, but um, you know, you can't uh, her run at uh, in Miami was fantastic beating Venus and, uh, Halep, the way that she did, um, and then obviously uh, Wozniacki in the final, three very different types of players was able to gut it out. Um, the way that she tore through the draw in Sydney, the way that she just absolutely dominated and bust off the court Redvanska and both Bouchard, who was playing well at the time. You know, it, it's Joko Mania is a thing, baby. <laughs> Get on it. So um, on that Kanta high, I will, let's leave actually with something we don't normally do, or not a, not a pillar of our show, but some predictions, just sort of wild predictions at this point, just we can look Oof, back and laugh okay. at later. At this point, Courtney, before we have started, before we've stepped on the real red clay for this season, pick your men's and women's French Open champions. Oh my God. The minute that you said it, I was like, fuck, he's going to make me pick like French Open champs. Because we have um, no, there's like, it's, 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 it's comical to me, like, how how few data points we have the point to that like how how sisyphean or whatever this uh I know. this task is yeah I, can, I, I mean i'll start with the men um i i mean like rogers won literally everything but i don't i can't imagine who won the french um but then I, he also doesn't lose anymore so if he plays the french he's just gonna win the french <laughs> But, okay, I will pick – there's two – to me, there's, like, two, like, standard candidates. But I feel like when in doubt in men's tennis lately, the answer winds up being Stan. Oof, I'm gonna go <laughs> that's Stan. true. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound a bit nuts. Okay. I'm still going to go Novak. Yeah, I think that's not a bad – I mean, like, Novak is – I think he'll find it. I think he'll find it on clay. Novak is the best – I think I still think that I don't think that Novak is broken forever. I no. I don't want to think that. Um, and I still maintain that like Novak is the best tennis player right now. Like he's not maybe playing that tennis, but, but like when you talk about everything that he can do, I just think he's the best tennis yeah, player. I agree. He certainly was this time last year, so I don't know why it would have changed so dramatically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess so. In terms of looking back, at this neither of us picked Rafa. Which I think is sort of the he, popular pick right now. He would be my second pick. Yeah, he'd probably be my second pick also. Um, just, but at the same time, he hasn't had big wins over big players. Dude needs to find his forehand. 
Yeah, that forehand has non been non-existent, and until he finds that stroke, it's not happening. Do you? So, do you? But I think the Venus analogy with him, or just in terms of how their years have gone, is like I, for me, it holds up well. Like I don't know, I just see it like I see him winning with sort of like sawdust and and guile, and and, and not like yeah. it's not the same sort of you know not the building blocks of what he once was, and he's just winning it largely on smarts and taking advantage of opportunities. In a way that Venus Venus hasn't had as good a year results wise as, as Rafa, but um, but yeah, um, and then neither of us picked Andy Murray, who's still the number one. <laughs> I want to pick you, and there's another thing. For as much flack as Kerber's getting, oh, they've both the had terrible. They've both had terrible years. That's where is sure. where? But where is the flack that Murray's not getting? He should be getting like, more I, again. I did. I not call his year a shit cake being a, a, iced over by the RF logo. There you is... are a gentleman and a scholar, but yes. I'm saying broadly. <laughs> You're right. No, you are right. R- Andy Murray should be getting. I mean, he lost to Vashik Pospisil at at a Masters, and he lost. And he, 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 he didn't Pospisil play. He's been injured. He has this injury alibi that Kerber hasn't had as directly yet. Maybe fair enough. But, but he's injured enough to be able to win Dubai and then not be able to show up at the big tournaments. Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, okay, so those are our men's picks. Uh, women. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of me that just, just for the hell of it, wants to picture Sharapova. I um, think that she is like a legitimate I don't person think having this conversation. I don't think it's that. Yeah, I don't think it's that out of the out of the blue. Obviously, if Serena, I mean, if uh, I'm not going to bet against Serena. Okay, I, so I if Serena her, plays the French Open, if she plays, I will back Serena. I mean, like, because she didn't enter. She's not on the Rome list. Which makes right. me think she's not going to play before then. I know she's like automatically. Isn't that how it works? Like you're like automatically on the mandatory list. Rome, right. For, so for that's Madrid. why she's automatically so, in Madrid. Yeah, so I don't believe that she's going to play. I don't have reason to trust that she's going to play Madrid. And if she plays literally no tournaments between Melbourne and Paris, I can't possibly think that she's going to win Paris. Right? Although. But it's also it's Serena. It's also Serena. <laughs> which is why Federer could win it also. But. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I. I don't know. I Sharapova's a tempting pick, but I just don't. There's so little data on It's ridiculous that, you know, this person who hasn't played in 15 months is suddenly like, yeah, you know, she makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of other things going for her right now. Um, she mad. She, and she's been training. Yeah. So, you know. It's going to be a fascinating run with her for sure, no matter what I'm happens. Um, but outside of those two. Um, I want to pick. Okay. You know, like if things. They should be Simona Halep's time. But I was going to say, it, it's got to be Halep, but, but I don't know. But it's not. It never is. <laughs> Stop I, breaking my heart. I'm just trying to think. Um, let me look at the rankings. Hold on. Um, I mean, like, it would be one of those things, like, if you gave me, like, 15 options, I would just pick none of the above. Um, but let's see. But those are my three picks. It, it's Serena, Maria, or Simona. What about, the, what about defending picks. champion Garbini Muguruza? I don't, I don't pick it. I don't either. She's played six tournaments. Three of those tournaments ended in retirement. That's not. That's great. just facts. That's not great. Something you know, like if it, this early in the season for your body to be letting you down like that, and then going into clay, and and to do what she did last year required lights out tennis. Yeah. I I'm, I, I, I just have like I literally can't pick any of these people. But watch Pliskova do it. Pliskova would be fine. Like I, Kuznetsova could do it. Um, Maybe Waz. Who knows? Waz, Waz running a slant with a friend. That'd be weird. 
Even for Waz, that's a bit much. Even um, for WTA, even for WTA twenty seventeen, that's a bit much. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I mean, like, I'm getting down the list and being like, hmm, Pavlyuchenkova, maybe. Eh, maybe. No, not on clay. I, she's, she's made a quarter there before. She's not useless on clay. She's um, not useless, but I, I just don't see it on clay. Um, I wish like it's like Tamea got on fire. Svid- oh, Svidalina is a good pick actually, but she that's had, a, a, but she had a terrible march. She had a terrible. Well, she was tired. It's, it's exhausting to win 13 straight matches on hardcore, bro. I would love to pick again. Fiddling is another player who's just like conflicting data. I don't know. I have to pick. You pick. Who did you? They who, all who, have conflicting who did you, data. Who did you pick? You picked somebody, right? I'm I'm going Halep. Okay, you're if, going if Halep. If not Sharapova and Serena, I'm going Halep. And I will go Halep to my grave in 30. Years. Like she'll be retired, and I'll still pick Halep to win the French Open. Um, I <laughs> will pick. Conta, you say is no good on clay. I don't know anything about I don't know if she's no good on clay, but you know. I don't think I've ever seen her play on clay. Last year, I think she won one or two matches. She lost first round French, first round Rome. Okay, I'm gonna I'm unimpressed by all of that. Um, How about? (laughs) um, I was really trying to pitch you there. I know. Um, Okay, (laughs) Sherry probably was like such a cop out, but it's right there. I, I will say this. So, Svitolina, so I want to pick what she's been. I was like, I had a, we had a story, like, I wanted to run on Svitolina, like, as soon as she did anything in March. She didn't do anything in March. I didn't get to run my dance, Svitolina story. It was brutal. Um, but I will say this. Yeah. So, so, Sharapova. Yeah. She didn't obviously play last year at all. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we do. We don't even know she didn't get into the French Open, by the way. Well, that's also true. Yeah, God. But, um,. <laughs> but, uh, so we do clay court power rankings. That'll, those will come out in, a, in about a week or a half. And those clay court power rankings basically calculate 100% of your clay court points last year, 50% of your clay court points, I think, the year before. 2015. And okay. 25% of the year before that. And Sharapova is still in the top 10, <laughs> even without playing last year. Yeah. Wow. Which is kind of like amusing to me. Last year was nutty on WTA clay court, though, because it was like, because that, that Madrid field, that Madrid tournament really was like, which Halep won, but the draw imploded completely how then, dare you romania forever it was a romanian implosion <laughs> um and then madison keys made a premiere five final on clay which was she still can't believe which it. was whimsical and fun but not necessarily <laughs> made a lot of sense okay i will pick you know i feel like this player is like very up and down i'm gonna go just i don't think this is actually gonna happen but it would be fun and it would feel i could write this story pretty easily I'm gonna go Pome. Uh-huh, that's fair. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. say Sibylkova because yeah. why not? Because she's just as good. Former semifinalist. As Twenty other options for this for this choice. So that's I'm gonna fair. I'm gonna go Sibylkova, and okay. with 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 less enthusiasm, I could not do it. But um, yeah, Sharapova is interesting. But again, like we know, Sharapova needs like isn't even guaranteed a spot in qualifying. So who knows? Um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride in, on the clay. Um, you're going to Stuttgart, yeah? Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going still. Hopefully I will. There's going to be a lot to do there, a lot to take in, a lot to process. There's a lot, a lot to, going a lot on to, in Stuttgart. A lot to transcribe. A lot of people will have a lot of thoughts, I'm sure. It's so gonna many be, thoughts. There's going to be a car driven on the court, and it might be aimed at somebody. We'll see. I don't know. Um, and, yeah. Uh, anything else before we let these people go? 
good on me. That's it. All right. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining, uh, episode 184. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. We've had some more discussion threads in our posts on the episode threads there, which we appreciate. So keep that going. Uh, follow along with us on Twitter as well, at uh, ncr underscore tennis is our handle there. And you can use hashtag ncr184 to talk about this episode with your fellow listeners. Uh, send us questions for upcoming shows to no challenges remaining at gmail.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes and any other podcast app of your choice and leave reviews there to get your new episodes delivered to you automatically. I think that's it. Um, Courtney, do you have ranty thoughts? Sure. Can do. Um, first, uh, so my, my, my rave is two part. The first one, I'm going to keep very short because I don't want to be one of those obnoxious people. Uh-oh. But I saw Hamilton. Oh, yeah. In San Francisco. It was phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance to at least just listen to the, the, the soundtrack. So good. It's all I've been listening to ever since that and the new Father John Misty album. But um, I don't know there's a new Father John Misty album. Yeah, it just came out. Pure comedy, cool. it's called. It's great. Um, but yeah, uh, Hamilton, just uh, if it comes to your city... Put yourself in the lottery, get some tickets, go watch it. It's just, it made me proud to be an American, and I haven't felt that way uh, since November 7th. Um, so that was good. Uh, the other rave that I have is about board games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, as those of you who listen to the podcast know, I like games. Um, and normally I play video games. So I have like a, a Sony PS Vita, which allows me to play like portable games. I play games on my computer. Um, I play video games, PS4, Xbox One. I have both of them uh, at home. Um, and it occurred to me at some point in the um, in the winter, like December during my off season, I'm kind of sick of staring at a screen. Like, I, you know, in my off time, I don't want to do that yeah. because that is pretty much what I spend most of my time doing. So I can't remember what got me into it. Uh, it may have been a podcast or something, but I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll look into what's happening in board games these days and, and, and stuff. And so I started to do some research, found a bunch of games, ordered them, have really enjoyed it. It's a great, like when I'm playing, it still occupies obviously my mind and there's tons of strategy, but I'm not checking my phone. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not watching TV. I'm just focused on the game. Um, listen to some music so I can multitask that way. Anyways, so I would really recommend, not unlike, like, I think a while ago I recommended, like, like adult coloring books, which mm-hmm. I've really, really enjoyed. Um, but it's kind of like adult coloring books, you turn your head, your your brain completely off, like you're just doing this, this mindless thing. Um, and, and there came a point where I, I kind of got bored with it. Um, but at least with the games, it's, it's like it, it makes my brain work. There are times where I'm just, like, exhausted. I'm like, I can't think about this anymore, and I just go to sleep. Um, but it's been really, really nice, and it's been a nice way to kind of um, unplug. I travel with board games now. So, um, yeah, like I'm looking at my bed. I've got one, two, three, four that I brought with me to Charleston. Do you travel with them in the boxes, or do you, like, de-box them? Um, some of them I de-box. Um, three of them that I brought along with me are very small. They're, okay. um, uh, but one is a, a quite big, heavy one, but I, I just travel with it in the box. But, um, but, yeah, so I would absolutely recommend that. If you think that board games are just monopoly and risk in life and sorry, board games are completely different these days. Um, 
and uh, and if you need and, and I play them a lot of them by myself. Like I play a lot of solitaire games. Um, uh, yeah, and it it's just been really really nice, and it's been a really cool distraction. So, if you need places to kind of start games to kind of um, jump into it with, there's a great great solo game called Friday, which is awesome. Really love that game. You basically play as Friday from Robinson Crusoe. You're trying to help Robinson Crusoe get off the island. It's really hard, but I was playing that all the time in Dubai. Um, there's another great game that I love the artwork for, and it's great, called Onirim, O-N-I-R-I-M. Um, mm. And there's a bunch of like games in that family that are great, but Onirim is great. Um, and then right now I've been obsessed with um, with Marvel Legendary, which is like a Marvel game that has like all the superheroes from the Marvel universe and you're trying to like defeat a, a, um, a, a mastermind. That's really fun. And there's a bunch of games that I have at home that I've been playing castle panic. Um, mage Knight is one that I have waiting for me when I get home. I'm really excited about that one. Cause that one's pretty hardcore. Um, but yeah, it's been really fun. Agricola. I don't know. Like if you need suggestions, hit me up. I'm happy to suggest games for you, but, um, you know, in our digital world, it's nice to kind of go analog, and and these board games are definitely my analog escape at the moment. No, that's a very analog is very key. I've been trying to do that with just books. Yeah, although that's, exactly. Yeah, but it's sometimes harder. I don't always have the attention. I feel like a board game could be almost more. It's more interactive than a book, um, and so it can be good to mix it up. And that's definitely a good method for that. Um, I've been like binge watching a couple things lately and at one of them i don't think i would have started on my own but it got rave reviews from uh andrew eccles of the changeover who lives in dc now who i see sometimes and it is this netflix show called ultimate Beastmaster, oh. which is essentially like kind of like a ninja warrior show but it's formatted more like global guts remember global guts okay you know remember it was like a, it was like a nickelodeon yeah. show it was like an obstacle course show and people around the world competing and so it's people from Six different countries are represented on the show. It's adults on this show. It's U.S., Mexico, South Korea, Japan, Germany, and Brazil. And they each have, like, their own announcers who are, like, kind of their cheerleaders cheering them on. It's a bit like Hunger games and it's also, like, very corny and very formulaic and repetitive. Like, they do the same obstacle course more or less every single episode. And so in that way, it becomes sort of a really nice background watch. You know, oh, this is the part. And they go through, like, this thing called The Beast, which is stupid and has these really corny names for things like oh yeah okay this is where they're coming up they're they've just passed through stomach churn now they're getting to digestive tract yeah sure of course um <laughs> and these various obstacles um my takeaway from it is that i should really be doing crossfit not because oh my like, god not, hold on not because of any like benefits of crossfit but because people who do crossfit have this delusional confidence that i find so appealing to have True. like they think they can do anything and they are routinely not that good at this they are like they're people being like yeah i do crossfit i can do anything look, look look at me like you know like doing standing push-ups on this cinder block like like what like but they think that it, i don't know something about it and i see people doing crossfit in dc and being people of this 2017 world fitness is a good thing to do and not, i'm not against physical fitness in theory but this confidence from the crossfitting i don't know i think it is really it could be really a powerful drug, the CrossFit confidence. And maybe if you know, maybe you are a CrossFitter and you feel this way yourself. Maybe you know CrossFitters who feel like they can, you know, run into burning buildings and save people. And it probably doesn't turn out that great because it's a burning building. I don't know. I, I just feel like it's a really interesting documentation of this phenomenon. 
that when people look back on CrossFit, we'll look back at being like, yeah, these were CrossFitters who were not that good at Ultimate Beastmaster. So something like that. Okay. That's, that's but I, I do genu- generally feel, as you and I are both not exactly workout people. Nope. Uh, <laughs> aside from you chasing down Pokemon. Right. Um, and me not, not doing anything ever. But uh, people who work out have a sense of, 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 of confidence that I do not have. Oh, sure. I but mean, I like separate and very... apart from CrossFit. But, like, they're just, like, they're, like, real in tune with their bodies and believe their bodies can do a lot of things. And I believe my body can do a lot of things, too. I'm wrong. But, like, you know, like, I'm like, oh, if somebody attacked me, I'd, I'd flip them. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but but, um, but there is there is this innate confidence that I suppose comes from uh, yeah, people who I work think out. I just see this particular flavor of it in CrossFit that seems really potent. I, yeah. So, T- is is CrossFit the same thing as TRX? I don't think so. Those two, okay. Because TRX people are super hardcore, too. It's Could like be. the thing with like the straps and stuff. Oh, where you no. use your body weight as weight. I don't think this is that. No, CrossFit okay. is just a lot of like it's a lot of like free weight. From what I can tell, it's like a lot of free weights. This is not an expert. From your <laughs> observation, from my observations of CrossFit, um, no, there is like a CrossFit place next to one of the supermarkets I go to in my neighborhood. So I sometimes see in the window of that. Um, but it's the one that's further away, and I don't want to walk that far. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's people doing like a lot of just like free weights and like big like the whole thing it's like a mat and people just like you know lifting up one thing and then really heavy thing and then dropping it i'm like okay it just looks like they're gonna drop it on somebody or like on their foot but they it's don't so do that funny because seen. if you if you could go back in time like back to the future style in a delorean and go back to like um agrarian times yeah and be like yo so let me tell you something in like a thousand years people are gonna pay shitloads of money to lift things and they will enjoy it i bet you those people would be like the future sounds pretty terrible <laughs> and they'll all be on paleo diets while they do it <laughs> no one wants to eat cavemen the, do best yeah people don't want to eat they want to eat like cavemen and they're gonna they, they pay tons of money to stand in an enclosed area and lift heavy things and sweat and that's how they feel good like, yeah, I think people will be like, yeah, no, that's, you know what, I'm good back here. <laughs> I'm good back here. I, I guess. And the future doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. And I always say, and I say, like, all bless, like, do do you. It's just, it's, it's, it's always a very fascinating thing to me because, like, if you go to other countries, mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, the idea of a gym is very new. Like, this yeah. is a very American thing. Yeah. This idea of like, especially urban, like pay money, go to a gym to work out. Like most other countries, when you go, they're like, why would I do that? I just go outside. I just go run. Or I, I, I have enough exercise in the job that I do. Or I just sit outside and smoke oh, and watch the world them. go by. Yeah. yeah. Those people are the thinkers. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not explicitly endorsing smoking on this podcast no and nor 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 endorsing a sedentary lifestyle (laughs) and yet it's those of of you working i imagine imagine like (laughs) somebody like working out to like the pockets and they get to this part they sort of stop in their tracks being like what this is like horribly demotivating but no existential crisis what's it all for i went i'm I'm for exercise it's just like i'm all i was really saying it's just like (laughs) the confidence that comes with it is not proportional sometimes and is interesting to see from like a pure data perspective 
if you can quantify how well people do on this show and it wasn't there's one like there's one like hobby or background that translates really well on this show i won't say what that is because it's a little spoilery but um one thing like works out really well and it's not crossfit (laughs) so with that um go watch that while playing board games or do each of them separately and unplug and we'll see you guys next time on with both feet on red dirt uh bye-bye ciao ciao excuse me excuse me